Welcome to Milkshake Monday, episode 169, Laughing at God's Promises. Waiting is no laughing matter. Before we start, I just wanted to share a scripture out of Romans chapter 8, verses 27 and 28, because as many of you know, this has been a transition period for myself and my family, and I just want to share praise to God and for the grace and mercy and kindness that he's bestowed upon me and being my constant companion. Sometimes when I get off kilter and things are not quite right in my emotional state is because I don't remind myself that the Lord is always with me. And this is a purpose that's going through right now. Whatever I'm going through is for his purpose and for the divine plan of God. So I like to read before I start Romans chapter eight, starting at verse 27. It says, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And I have to reflect on that and I have to hold fast to that because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is there making an intercession. And ultimately, all of us want to be in the will of God and we want to do the plans and purposes of the Lord for the divine plan of seeking and saving that which was lo is lost. And I just want to give glory to God that he is so faithful. And I have been going through something emotional, as many of you all go through. But the Lord in the last few days and even tonight just allowed a Christian brother, uh, his book, Gary Chapman's book, to just share with me something that was the exactly what the Lord needed to minister to me uh, of thus saith the Lord. And I'm just so appreciative. So tonight, let's talk about laughing at God's promises to give you some understanding. The Lord cannot lie. He is the truth. So he cannot lie. When you hear the word promises, it could be God's message. It could be God's purpose. Whatever he has determined by his inspired word of God will come to pass. And you're going to see it the discussion tonight from two different perspectives. You're going to see it from the perspective of those who are the enemies of God. That means that they don't believe in God. They don't want to do the work of God, just like Satan. Satan thinks that he was able to, or thought he was able to defeat Christ on the cross, but that was God's divine plan. He knew that Christ had to go to the cross for our salvation. He had to be that gift that was freely given for that blood that had no sin. But Satan didn't understand that God's divine plan is going to happen and will happen. And you're going to see a character that we're going to start out with. And you're going to say, well, how is that guy laughing at God's promises? He thinks he is superior to God and God is going to show him in the end that he's not. But also I want you all to keep in mind when I show you these three stories tonight, that you have Christian believers, people that are supposed to be followers of the great almighty God. And they are mocking, questioning, laughing, not supporting and understanding what God really means when he says he's going to do something. He has a plan. So let's start out with Exodus chapter five, Exodus chapter five. And the first character that is not of God, because we know that God says that he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart is Pharaoh. And I want you to see when you start to hear this passage about the message that's been delivered by Aaron and Moses about what God says he wants done and how Pharaoh 
is going to like, I ain't got nothing to do with God. I don't need to listen to him. But ultimately we will find out as you read the scriptures in Exodus that he's destroyed. So let's go to Exodus five, verse one. After this presentation to the elders, Moses and Aaron went to see Pharaoh. They told him, we bring you a message from Jehovah, the God of Israel. He says, let my people go for they must make a holy pilgrimage out into the wilderness for a religious feast to worship me there. Verse two, is that so? Retorted Pharaoh. And who is Jehovah that I should listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know Jehovah and I will not let Israel go. But Aaron and Moses persisted. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. They declared, we must take a three day trip into the wilderness and sacrifice there to Jehovah, our God. If we don't obey him, we face death by plague or sword. Verse four through five. Who do you think you are? Pharaoh shouted, distracting the people from their work. Get back to your jobs. That same day, Pharaoh sent this order to the taskmasters and officers he had set over the people of Israel. Don't give the people any more straw for making bricks. However, don't reduce their production quotes by a single brick. Now we're going to jump down. God gave the message to Pharaoh and he's basically said, I don't need to listen to God. I ain't following God and I don't care what he says. And then he tries to make the labor of what the Hebrews were doing in making bricks almost impossible and mocking the fact that God, Jehovah God had told Moses and Aaron to deliver the message that y'all got to go for a three day trip to worship him. Satan didn't want to, I should say Satan, it's Pharaoh, but Satan through Pharaoh was saying, I don't let, need to listen to God. And that's what a lot of people that are not of God will say. You don't need to read the Bible. You need, don't need to follow after what the word of God says. So look what happens. Let's jump down to verse 10 through 11 of Exodus five. So the taskmasters and officers informed the people. I ain't getting no straw. Pharaoh has given orders to furnish you with no more straw. Go and find it wherever you can, but you must produce just as many bricks as before. So the people scattered everywhere to gather straw. The taskmasters were brutal. Fulfill your daily quota just as before. They kept demanding. Then they whipped the Israel work crew bosses. Why haven't you fulfilled your quotas either yesterday or today? They roared. These foremen went to Pharaoh and pleaded with him. Don't treat us like this. They begged. We are given no straw and told to make as many bricks as before. And we're beaten and we're beaten for something that isn't our fault. Okay. I want y'all to pause for a second. They're going to try to appeal to an ungodly Pharaoh and ask him to have leniency and for him to change his mind about his direction that they are to do brick making without straw. Now they start out with this thing. It's not our fault. You already have Pharaoh scoffing, but I want y'all to see this mindset about it's not our fault. Here they go. This isn't our fault. It is the fault of your taskmasters for making such an unreasonable demand. But here's Pharaoh. Let, what's going to happen? 
Verse 17 of Exodus 5. But Pharaoh replied, you don't have enough work or else you wouldn't be saying, let us go and sacrifice to Jehovah. Get back to work. No straw will be given you and you must deliver the regular quota of bricks. Then the foreman saw that they were indeed in a bad situation when they met Moses and Aaron. Okay, here we go. These are believers of Jehovah, the Hebrew God that they know. They know that why Moses and Aaron said, why they said it to Pharaoh is because they needed to get out of Egypt and it was supposed to be to worship God. But they're upset because they're looking at the situation at hand, which they don't have any straw. They're being beaten. The time is tough, tough and like, the living translation is saying they're in a bad fix they're in a bad situation, but they're not going to just go with that. They're going to go and start to complain and they're going to start to start to scoff. And even though God has talked about him being their deliverer for many, many decades and centuries, they're not going to think about any of that. They're going to think about the current state. It says when they met Moses and Aaron waiting for them outside the palace, as they came out from their meeting with Pharaoh, they swore at them. That's cussing and fussing. They're cussing and fussing. But really, they're not cussing and fussing at Moses and Aaron. They're just the people they can see. They want to cuss and fuss at God. What are you doing to us? They swore at them. May God judge you for making us stink before Pharaoh and his people, they said, and for giving them an excuse to kill us. Now, that's the foreman of the people. Look what happens with Moses and Aaron. Verse 22, then Moses went back to the Lord. Lord, he protested. Now, who, 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 who has the nerve to protest to God? God has told you, here's the message. He's told you what he plans to do. He's sending you as a messenger to be the person to take his nation out of Egypt. But you're going back to protest to God. How can you mistreat your own people like this? Why did you ever send me if you were going to do this to them. Ever since I gave Pharaoh your message, he has only been more and more brutal to them and you have not delivered them at all. Now, you say, how is that, Sister Helm? Laughing at God's promises. You don't trust God's promises. You're, you're, you're protesting them. You're questioning them. Even though you don't see the word laughter, you're mocking by saying to God, why, why, why? And how, how could you do this, God? Why would you do this? I don't like the way you're doing things, God. And you should have known better. It's not our fault. It's your fault. That's basically what the complaint is back. The foremans were complaining to Moses and Aaron. And now Aaron and Moses are going before the Lord. And they're basically complaining to God to say, you have not delivered them at all. Question, questioning, what is he doing? Now, y'all got to study for yourself because I want y'all to have a progression to understand that we do it all the time. We question God. And the reason why I put waiting is no laughter, laughing matter because over time, when things don't work out like we want them to, we start questioning God's pur purpose, his promises, his commandments is true because guess what? We're under a bad situation and we don't have the confidence to trust God. And while we're waiting, waiting is no laughing matter because waiting requires courage and trust and we don't have it. So let's go to the one story that I really want to focus on that many of you all know. And the word laughter is in it. 
Before we get to Genesis 18, for those of you, Genesis 18 will be in verses 6 through 16. Sarah is the wife of Abraham. At the beginning of the story in Genesis 12, Abram, which is Abram, if you've heard his name, Abram, and Sarai, husband and wife. God directs that Abram is to leave his country, leave his family. So I want you to understand that Sarai, his wife, has not had a child. She's been barren. So when they leave the family, they only go with the nephew Lot. They don't go with a bunch of kids. They go with with wealth, but they don't go with a whole horde of family because God said, leave your country and your family, but they still bought, bought Lot. Sarah is exceptionally beautiful. And you find times when you start to see Genesis 12 and 13 and 14 and 15, all the way up to 18, that you're going to see a pattern that when Sarah goes to a new location like Egypt, that she's so beautiful that Abram or Abram protects himself by telling her lie and tell them you're not my wife because if they think you're my wife, they'll kill me so they can have you because you're just that gorgeous. So she finds herself in these predicaments where they go into these new places and she lies and says that she's his, that's her brother. And as you read the scriptures, you'll see that the Lord causes some problems when Pharaoh is thinking about touching Sarah and all of a sudden things happen and it's revealed that no, he's not her brother. He's her husband. So you have her leaving her hometown, her family, his family, not having any kids, going with Lot, then going to town, lying about being a situation of being a sister, almost being possibly violated because she's pretending like she's a free woman when she's not. You see a situation as the chapters keep progressing that Abram and the family member Lot separate. Lot goes to the areas of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then the Lord, after that separation, shows Abram all the land that he'll have. But again, it's a separation. She only has a small little family niche and Lot is gone. Then you see that Lot gets into trouble and her husband, the only family she really got right there, goes into a battle to get Lot and the stuff back. So there's things that are happening. So before you get to Genesis 18, there's Genesis 15, where the Lord is talking to, to Abram about a promise. He's already told him things about descendants. But again, Abram didn't have any kids at this point. And you find that all these promises are being made. And even Sarah's trying to say that she's got to help. And you find that Sarah's going to find that she's going to offer Hagar her person, who's her servant, her handmaiden. And she's going to have her servant have sex with her husband. We don't have an appreciation of, I mean, if I were married and I'm all of a sudden going to let my husband go have sex with another woman to have a baby. Yeah, that sounds easy to read, but that's not easy to go through those emotions of letting that happen. You all know that Hagar conceives and she ends up having Ishmael. But there's some tension because Hagar's behavior toward Sarai changes. In the scriptures, you're going to see the name change. You're going to see that God is going to tell a change of name. And, and when we get to Genesis 17, verse 5, for 
Abram, this has been your name, but I'm about to make a change in your life. So I'm changing your name from Abram to Abraham. And your wife even is going to have a change. She's Sarai. No, not anymore. As of verse 17, she changes from being Sarai to Sarah. So here we are at chapter 18. I want you to have appreciation. She's been barren for a while. And she's gone through all of these things leading up to chapter 18. And the reason why I want you to have that appreciation, because there's some things that happen in my life and your life. And then you have God announce to you something profound as a promise. And because of all the past hurts, pains, disappointments, because at this point of her life, she's an older woman. And if you know anything about the Hebrew women and men, having a child is a big deal. And the fact that her womb is closed and she's had no children and here her husband is almost 99 years old and she's older herself, beautiful as she may be, she's had no children. And that's got to be something that pains her, gives her suffering, gives her pause. So let's start at verse six of chapter 18. The three, you have the angels and, and Jesus Christ. And they come and Abraham is going to have a meal for them. So here's verse six. Then Abram ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, quick, mix up some pancakes. Use your best flour and make enough for the three of them. Then he ran out to the herd and selected a fat calf and told a servant to hurry and butcher it. Soon taking them cheese and milk and roast veal, he set it before the men and stood beneath the trees beside them as they ate. Here's the question that starts. They're coming, as you will know, soon enough to come to look at what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah for what the, you know, they realize what's happening, but they've been fed, they've eaten. And the question comes, verse nine, where is Sarah, your wife? They ask him, Abram is going to reply in the tent. Abram replied. Then the Lord said next year, I will give you and Sarah a son. Sarah was listening from the tent door behind him. Now, Abram and Sarah were both very old and Sarah was long since past the time where she could have a baby. Y'all know many of us who are in that part where we don't have babies no more because our, our stuff inside is no longer able to. That's not a new predicament. Women of the past, decades, centuries, we all have that kind of maternal clock. She's in her 80s. She's thinking the same thing. So as she's hearing what the Lord is saying, y'all can all scoff at her and say, oh, I wouldn't say that. But if I'm in my 50s and you in your 70s and 80s and I talk to the people on the phone there later in age and somebody all of a sudden says you're going to have a baby next year, your mind would kind of click a little bit to say you're not going to really believe that. But here's God. With God, all things are possible. But look what happens. Verse 12. So Sarah laughed silently. Some translation says within herself. She laughed within herself because she's like, this is so ridiculous. This is just crazy talk. You know, I've been waiting all these decades 
I done gone through all this stuff, leaving Haran, going here, going there, and ain't no babies coming. I had to get my, my servant girl, Hagar, you know, we got Abraham. Abraham did his business and the baby came, but me, nothing. We've been doing the do and nothing. So all of a sudden next year, I'm going to have a baby. You can, you can imagine in her mind, silently, she's laughing at the thought of it. The, re, the ridiculousness of the prospect of her being pregnant in her 80s, right? And even her husband, as old as he is, old man going to do something. You got to understand, we, we say that we'd be so super spiritual to believe it, but this is what she's going through. And they say it so clearly. Verse 12 says, Sarah laughed silently. A woman my age having a baby? She scoffed to herself. And with a husband as old as mine, I'm reading out of the living translation so y'all can get it. Verse 13. Then God said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh? Now, Abram, her husband, doesn't even know what Sarah's doing in the tent behind him. And that she laughed or didn't laugh, he didn't know because this question about where she is was just coming to her, coming to him. And then the comment about next year, I'm going to give you a son. And but he asked the husband, why'd your wife laugh? Because there's something about her laughing, reflecting on what was told to Abram, Genesis 15, Genesis 12. Why is she laughing when I already didn't give you these promises? I've already made a covenant with you. Why is your wife laughing when she should understand that I didn't just say those words to you in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15? I told you what the future lies for you. But the question is asked, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, now, now here's what she said, remember, she laughed silently to herself, inwardly to herself. And she had these comments to herself behind them. But Christ has like a microphone. He's repeating exactly what he's understood her to feel inside in the mockery, in the scoffing, in the not believing the promise. But even saying what she said about why she's saying this can't happen. Look what he says. Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for God? That's what all of us have to tattoo on our forehead, on our heart, on our refrigerators, on our mirrors. Is anything too hard for God? The situations that are in your life, the bad situations in your life, is anything too hard for God to overcome the natural? God is supernatural. God is all powerful, all knowing, all wisdom and mercy and kindness and truth. Is anything too hard for God? Next year, just as I told you. I love the way the words are. Just as I told you. Now, he just told him about the next year part, but he's been talking about descendants all the way back from Genesis 12 all the way up to the Genesis 15. He's been talking about your descendants will be so many. They can't even be numbered. But somebody wasn't believing the promise enough that the wife was scoffing. Because in order for Abraham to have the descendants, he needed to have him with his wife. Yes, you saw that Ishmael is on the scene, but God didn't say, I'm going to use Sarah's maidservant. She's going to, he's going to say that Ishmael will be blessed, but he didn't say when he's talking about the descendants, the son of promise, that it was being done for other hands and other means that Sarah and Abraham will try. But here it says here, but Sarah, verse 15, denied it. 
I didn't laugh. She lied for she was afraid. Now in the New King James, it says, and he said, no, but you did laugh. The Living Translation leaves that off for some reason. But Christ came back and corrected her when she lied. Whether she's afraid or not, she lied. She, she tried to contradict what Christ knew, understood, and just said to her husband. She did laugh. No, you did laugh. Don't lie about it. You did laugh. And some of us want to lie because we say, oh, I believe God. He's first in my life. He's this, that, and the other. Oh, I'm just so, what a mighty God. I'm highly favored. All these things we throw up. But then in the privacy of our mind and our heart, when we're going through some things, oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, how can, how can you do this? But God wants to throw back. Is anything too hard for God? Now, we're going to go to another scripture. Sarah laughed. She's a Christian. She's a believer of the most high God, Jehovah. But she had to come to a point that you will see that Isaac means laughter. Isaac means laughter because in the position that she was in, she'd gone through all this stuff and in her natural mind, she didn't believe God. She didn't believe that this was possible in her physical flesh, in her husband's physical flesh. And she'd waited and she waited and she waited and she was barren and there's an Ishmael there and she still had not had a baby. But in the presence of time, in the process of time, a year later, you have Isaac. And I want y'all to read the scriptures. Isaac was born and you know that Sarah died before Isaac ever even got his bride. Sarah never saw her daughter-in-law. Sarah never saw the fruit of the daughter-in-law's body. She never saw the ancestry rollout that was going to happen, but she did see where God made the promise and God, the next year she had Isaac. Now let's go to Matthew 27 verses 39 through 50. I was listening to a song that said it wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross when I thought about this scripture. While Christ was on the cross being crucified, there was mocking going on. There was mocking of the thief that was not a believing you know, there was a thief that believed Christ and Christ said, this day you'll be in my kingdom. But there was a mocking thief. There was also people at the foot of the cross that were Pharisees and Sadducees and elders who were mocking him. And I'm going to show you that. But the thing about they don't recognize that God had already promised back in Genesis three. This was going to happen. Satan didn't want it to happen. And even the people of that time that should have known how God's prophecy had promised this to happen. They weren't aware of what was unfolding. They were mocking God's promise, God's deliverer, God's savior, our Lord and savior. And just like that song said, it wasn't the nails that held him up there. It was his love for you and I. Knowing that we were the creature mocking and spitting and ridiculing him and just scoffing at all of who he was and what he was to all of us for our salvation. He still stayed on that cross because he loved us. And that should bring some tears because who loves people like us who don't believe, don't have faith, don't believe things are possible with God. We give up on God when it gets the least bit hard. I can tell you the word constant companion has been something that God is teaching me. I have been in this isolation because of the pandemic, the isolation because of 
uh, uh, Rev going to heaven and, you know, faith being at school and the family just growing up and being away. But God is teaching me, Anita, is anything too hard for me? I can be with you. I can be your companion. I can be your person that gives you comfort and love. But that takes me believing and not laughing inside myself at the promise, not doubting, not having trust. I got to trust God. So look at the scripture starting at verse 39. We're in Matthew 27, verse 39 through 50. Two robbers were also crucified there that morning, one on either side of him. And the people passing by hurled abuse. That's them disrespecting and just mocking him. He's the son of God, but they're mocking him. Hurled abuse, shaking their heads at him and saying, so... You can destroy the temple and build it again in three days, can you? Well, then come on down from the cross if you are the son of God. They're mocking him. They're ridiculing him. Verse 41 through 43. And the chief priests and Jewish leaders also mocked him. He saved others. They scoffed, but he can't save himself. So you are the king of Israel, are you? Come down from the cross and we'll believe you. He trusted God. Let God show how his approval by delivering him. Didn't he say, I am God's son? Ridicule. And these are the Jewish leaders. These are the Jewish people passing by. These are the people that are supposed to know the Old Testament, the prophecies. But look how we as Christian believers can mock our Savior. We can mock his promises of providing, being Jehovah Jireh, our provider. We can mock his truth saying that he will never leave us or forsake us. And we'll say, I'm all alone. I'm all by myself. We can mock him in the everyday life of how our experience goes. The cares of this life. We say, oh, God can't help me. But God says back to the scriptures that we just read in Genesis. Any, is anything too hard for God? In your box of your life, God's got to get in your box to tell you he's not a small God. Stop making him be a puny God. He's an awesome God. He's a powerful God. So look at this scripture, verse 44. And the robbers also threw the same in his teeth. They're throwing all this stuff in his face. They're throwing all this mockery and ridicule at him. That afternoon, the whole earth was covered with darkness for three hours from noon until three o'clock. About three o'clock, Jesus shouted, Eli, Eba, Eli, lama sabbatham which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a stick and held it up to him to drink. But the rest said, leave him alone. Let's see whether Elijah will come and save him. Then Jesus shouted again, dismissed his spirit and died. He finished. He didn't come off of the cross to address the ridicule, the mockery, the hurls, the, the things that people were saying. He didn't come and call the host of angels to take him down and wipe out all these people that were laughing at him and calling him all these crazy names and thoughts that they were throwing at him. But he died because he loved us. Now, his love was unfailing. But here's the thing about us where we struggle where I struggle, it's not you, it's not just me, it's all of us as Christian believers are struggling and that's on waiting on the Lord. I'm going to this scripture because we always hear it, but I wanna break it down because 
it uses the word courage. The scripture I'm talking about is Psalm 27 verses 9 through 14. And the scripture says, wait on the Lord and be of good courage. Before I tell you about courage, I want to tell you where we struggle. We struggle and I'm telling myself because I'm living this. We struggle in trusting God. We struggle in our faith in God, in our hope in God. We struggle in obedience to God. We struggle in self-denial, putting down the self. We struggle in understanding that God cannot lie. It is impossible. He cannot deny himself and he cannot lie. And he is a promise keeper. God is a promise keeper. Because he can't lie, when he says he's going to do something, he's going to do something. When he says a message to the Pharaoh, it's going to happen, Pharaoh, no matter how hard-hearted you are, God will have his will be done. Now, here's the definition of courage. Those are some of the areas where we struggle in, but let, let, let us have an understanding of what courage is about. The word courage is defined as a mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty, or the ability to do something that frightens us. When God has us stand on his promises, it frightens a lot of us because to stand on his promises mean that we have to go and we have to be in front of friends and family. And when they say, why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? You got to say, because God has promised me. God has told me in his word, I can believe him when he says, give a 10th of my, give the first fruits. I can believe him. I can believe that I'm not by myself. I don't have to be sad. I can believe that my former husband is in heaven. I don't have to be sad and depressed and lonely and wanting him back because I know he's gone to be with the Lord, but they're going to look at you funny and it's going to be difficult. And it may even frighten you of how much you're standing on the truth of God's word, how much you're believing that with God, all things are possible and there's nothing too hard for God. But that's what this scripture. And I want you to to hear the scriptures out of verses nine through 14 of Psalm 27 as we finish. Oh, do not hide yourself when I'm trying to find you. This is us talking to God. Do not angrily reject your servant. You have been my help in all my trials before. Don't leave me now. That's what we got to cry out to God. Please don't leave me, God. Stand with me. Be with me as I go through this struggle where I'm struggling to trust you and have faith and remember that you're a promise keeper. Please don't leave me, Lord. Don't forsake me, O God, of my salvation. For if my father and mother should abandon me, you would welcome and comfort me. A lot of us are relying too much on mom and daddy and grandmom and grand. When they die, you just fall apart. They were your loved ones, but God is always going to be with you. That scripture I read to you about Romans 8, 27 and 28. God is making intercession. The Lord Jesus is at the right hand making intercession for you. That's better than mom and daddy and grandmom and granddaddy. But here's verse 11. Tell me what to do, O Lord, and make it plain because I'm surrounded by waiting enemies. And one of the enemies that we have to fight is doubt. 
Satan uses doubt and unbelief and distrust and disobedience on us every moment of our lives. And we have to stand on the promises of God. It's not just a song. We have to stand on the promises of God. It says, verse 12, don't let them get me. That's the enemies and the enemies that work in this head of ours. Don't let them get me, Lord. Don't let me fall into the hand in their hands for they accuse me of things I never did. And all the while are plotting cruelty. I'm expecting the Lord to rescue me again so that once again, I will see his goodness to me here in the land of the living. Don't be impatient. I got to tell y'all, Reb used to always say, Nita, you want everything fast. And when it comes to God's promises, I can't go on my timing. You can't go on your timing. God's got his own divine plan and his timing is perfect and right. And we have to trust him. We have to trust if he's told you something in your spirit, you just have to wait on him. And this scripture saying, I'm saying it to Anita. I'm saying it to y'all, but I'm saying it to Anita, verse 14, don't be impatient. Wait for the Lord and he will come and save you. Be brave. That's that courageous word. Be brave. It says, be brave and stout hearted and courageous. Yes, wait and he will help you. Now, I don't know who needs this. I needed it. All of us are coming through some times. This world that we live in is temporary. The things that are happening in this world whether you're thinking about the pandemic, is Russia going to invade Ukraine? Are we going to have millions of people die? Are we going to have people, white supremacists, marching on uh, the Lincoln Memorial? All this stuff makes us afraid. But God says that he's our hedge before and behind us. He's never leaving us or forsake us. He's, he's told us that we have, we have him. We have the victory. That we, have, that we don't have to fear death. There is no sting in death because whatever happens, we know that we're going to be with him. And if the worst thing that Satan thinks he could do is he asked God to take our lives and God allows it because he can't do nothing without God allowing it. God just knows it's our time. The pages in our book is done and it's time for us to go to be in heaven so that we can see for ourselves the glory of the Lord. So I just want to encourage all of us. Let's stop laughing at God's promises and wait because it's not a laughing matter. It's a matter of us being courageous and brave and trusting God and being obedient to his word because he cannot lie. He is truth. I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the father except through the son, Jesus Christ. And that's who we serve. That's who we love. And that's who loved us enough that while people were hurling all kinds of stuff at him, he loved us enough that it wasn't the nails that held him on the cross. It was his love for you and his love for me. Even knowing our sinful past, present, and future, it was his love for you and me. And that's something for us to keep our head held high. Now, y'all know, I'm going to tell y'all something. Part of God's plan for me is that I had to be released to go out and share the word of God to strangers. You are released to go and to share the word of God to strangers, to people God is going to put in your path. The harvest is ripe and the labors are few. I say that all the time, 
But God is allowing all of us, our change in circumstances is for us to be liberated to go out and to start sharing who Christ is. It doesn't matter the color, the age, the culture. Tell people who you meet, who God's putting in your path, the love of Jesus. Don't tell them about church. Don't tell them about your programs. Tell them about how our God, Jesus Christ, loved you and I so much that knowing all of our sin, all of our dirt in every closet, every drawer, every, everything that we will do in the past, present, and future still chose to let the creature crucify him so that we would see the love of God and we would have the free gift of eternal salvation. He gave the wage, that death that he gave was so we would have life. And I just pray in the name of Jesus that if you don't know who Christ is in your life as a savior, Lord, a lover of who you are, not the sin of who you are, but he loved each and one of us enough that he stayed on that cross. He, he bore all of that turmoil of sin and separation from his father who is holy so that we could have a right to come and have the free gift of eternal life and be with God through eternity. I love you and I thank you all so much. Please keep praying for me. I'm growing. That's what this is about. God is growing all of us up, helping us to learn about him in a deeper, more powerful way. And I'm just thankful to God. And I thank you all so much for your prayers. Lord willing, I will see you next Monday. God bless you.